real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Podcastpreneur Podcast, where you will learn how to produce, promote, and profit with a podcast. This episode originally appeared on the Frugalpreneur Podcast. To receive free access to my upcoming podcasting masterclass, please sign up at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash masterclass. That's T-H-E. S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash masterclass. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is the host of the popular podcast, Podcast Junkies. Welcome to the show, Harry Duran. Hey, Sarah. How are you? Thank you so much for inviting me on. Well, thanks for being on. And we were talking a little bit before I hit record. Uh, we're actually doing this on Squadcast, and you're an advisor for Squadcast. I'm curious what exactly that means and how that came about. It's so funny because uh, I've always been interested in technology, and obviously that's how I ended up in, in podcasting. Funny story related to this is that m- my passion for podcasting actually started with my love for DJing. So I've DJed like vinyl on turntables and I actually still have them in storage. So I was always a fan of house music, electronic music, and I would go to music festivals and I wanted to create a mobile app just for electronic music DJs, kind of like a Pandora, but just for electronic music. And I called it Know Your DJ. And so a friend of mine helped me create the app. We offered it in the app store. So it was pretty fun. So I decided I wanted to start a podcast to interview those DJs. And so I went to New Media Expo in 2014. And I changed gears because I saw Pat Flynn there. I saw Amy Porterfield and I was like, oh, wow, podcasting, this looks interesting. So basically I said, scrap that idea. I'm going to interview other podcasters. And so that's Podcast Junkies. That's the super meta. It's a podcast for those of you that haven't heard it. It's a podcast where I interview other podcasters. And I was inspired by that show Inside the Actor Studio, if you remember that one. And Mm -hmm. because I was, it was so cool how we got these actors to open up and just relax. And you see their personal side. And I was like, well, let me tell the stories of these podcasters because that way other podcasters can be inspired and people who are new to podcasting can learn about them. And so a year into that, I just was leaving my nine to five job. And so I hired a business coach. And then I realized like how much I didn't know about digital marketing. And so I kind of went down that rabbit hole, just learning about landing pages and and, and copywriting and and websites and SEO and nothing you learn in college and nothing you learn in your nine to five job. But there's a quote I reference all the time by Jim Rohn, and he's someone who got to work and inspired people like Tony Robbins. He says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my social circle when I was leaving my nine to five. And I was like, I don't have anyone that can actually explain to me how you can build six figure, seven figure businesses. And so when I jumped into that coaching program, it was like $1,500 a month. It wasn't cheap. But I realized these people were making like six figures, seven figures with a remote business. And I was just blown away. And so I just started working with them. And I just 
now with the podcast. And so now we produce shows, the company's full cast, and we've been doing that since 2015, a full service done for you podcast agency. And so I would go to conferences. I've spoken to Podcast Movement, PodFest. We are podcast in Australia. And I started to build relationships. And so this is something that's helpful. And hopefully it's helpful for your audience. But this idea of ensuring that from the very first conversation I had on Podcast Junkies, I wanted to attempt to build a relationship with that person. Mm. And sometimes that relationship will last an hour. There's people that I'm still friends with six years later because of the podcast. I have this mantra where I say, treat your guests like gold. Just always try to build that relationship. And so as I started to go on podcasting conferences, I would go to the pavilion and see all these cool vendors. And I saw Squadcast team back in 2017. And it was really rough around the edges. It wasn't the pretty interface you see now. <laughs> but I, I saw the potential because I was using Skype with Call Recorder. And so it was the same experience. I could see the video, but it, we would only use high quality audio. And I just started working with the team for like a year. And then in 2018, they brought me on as their founding advisor and just been exciting to see what's happening. Obviously, post COVID now, there's been a re huge surge in people trying to get quality audio remotely because all these companies are, there's no studios to go to anymore. Mm. Right. So now Squadcast is working with folks like ESPN, Vox, some folks at Microsoft, some of the folks at Gimlet as well have been using the platform. So that's pretty exciting. Oh, wow. So yeah, they're really blowing up. So then what exactly do you do as an advisor? Give them input and advice? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's another thing that I knew nothing about, like this world of angel funding and, and advising. And so essentially the way it works is every agreement is different with each company and some they'll pay you a retainer or they'll give you some sort of compensation, or in some cases, even equity in the company. It depends on how much they value. And they can be like fractions of a percentage, quarter of a percent, or all the way up to one or two percent, depending on the relationship again. But it's all in how much value you're providing to company. And, and the earlier you work with them, the better the relationship, because ostensibly you're providing something for them that they, it would take years for them to do on their own. And they would don't also don't have the connections. So anyone could probably be an advisor if they went deep enough on a subject. And then they had newcomers coming into the industry and be like, oh, I see that you've been doing this for like four or five years. Can you give me some advice? And then initially the advice is free. And then later when you start realizing enough people are asking, you're like, okay, this is my hourly rate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it starts like that. And it's just, you know, I, I learn as I go and as well. And so now I'm learning more about what it takes to be a good advisor as well. And then there's a couple of other companies now I've started working with since then because of my relationship with Squadcast. Yeah, you just yeah. never know where things will yeah, go, I guess. <laughs> exactly. And be open to possibilities. I mean, there's, I love the idea of networking. And I, I just heard someone do a take on that term right now because they say networking is so old school. The new word is net playing. Oh. So you're not you're not networking, you're net playing. And I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> you also do a two-day intensive? That, yeah. That's really interesting. Can you explain a little bit about that? What I was learning, Sarah, in the beginning is just all the different pricing models you can have. I was trying to see, what do I want to do? Do I want to be a coach? Do I want to sell a service? Do I want to provide services? And so I had been doing podcast junkies for a year. So I'd I knew the marketing in and out because I was my own crash test dummy, trying this, trying this. Now, you mentioned earlier, we, we spoke about a, the t-shirt that I have. That was a marketing thing that I actually learned from Michael O'Neill. I always give him credit because I heard him mention it on his show of the Solopreneur Hour. And it's a bright yellow. It's contrasting colors. It's black and yellow, which is 
ironically, or not ironically, but why they, those, that's the color combo they use for traffic signs, right? <laughs> like, and because it stands out, it's high contrast, which is good practice. And so I would make 50 shirts and at five bucks a pop, it wasn't cheap. I was investing, but I would give them away and people would be like, oh, wow, that's cool. I'd be like, you want the $10 version or the free one? And they're, they're like, uh, I want the free one. And I'm like, all you got to do is subscribe to my show on the spot right now and just show me. <laughs> so they would do that. So a little like guerrilla marketing, stuff like that. What I figured out in the beginning was, oh, I learned all that marketing. So now I can put that into a business model. And then, so when I was joining that high-end coaching program, that mastermind I mentioned earlier, I realized everyone there was paying this guy 1500 bucks a month. And I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. These people understand what an hour of their time is worth. They understand what their genius is. I like to say there's four tasks. Those you're incompetent at, those you're competent at, those you're excellent at, and then you're genius. So incompetent, competent, like you obviously get those off your plate as soon as possible. Hiring a housekeeper or something like that. People are like, yeah, I don't want to spend five hours. <laughs> Gladly pay someone 15 or 20 bucks an hour because an hour of your time is worth more. This is what people like new entrepreneurs, the sooner they figure out how much am I making in a year, divide that so I get my hourly rate. And then if you can pay someone less than an hour of your time is worth, it's an hour of your time well spent. So the excellent tasks are tasks that we're pretty good at. We've probably gotten some basic training on it, but it's not our, our genius. The, the thing that when I say genius, it's the thing that you can do better than almost anyone that you know. And for me, the excellent tasks were a little bit of web design. I could do some HTML and CSS. And then one day I was spending hours trying to fix something in the sideboard of my website. I was going crazy because it wasn't working and my rudimentary HTML and <laughs> CSS wasn't working. Finally called up a friend of mine. He literally fixed it in five minutes, 15 minutes, maybe five minutes even. And I was just like, oh, that's your genius. That's what you do better than anyone, certainly better than me. And I was, I happily paid him. I think I paid him for a full hour. And it's interesting because people are like, oh, you're paying for, he did it in five minutes. I'm not paying for the five minutes. I'm paying for the 20 years of training that he has that got him to the point where he can fix a thing like that in five minutes. And so I was like, a light bulb went off and I'm like, ah, so I want to create something to let these people in this mastermind focus on their genius, which is not podcast editing, which is not graphic design, which is not writing show notes. I'll take that off their plate. And so I created a done-for-you service for this audience that was in the room that I was in. And as I started to work through the model, one of them at the break one time, I'll never forget, during one of these two-day intensives, he's like, when that's ready, I want to do it. I'm interested in Let me know. And so that was my first client. I basically gave him a discounted rate or something like that. And I remember getting the PayPal. I was standing in my kitchen. I guess I'm in business for myself. <laughs> um, and it was like the, the writing was on the wall of my nine to five job. So I just didn't have a choice. And so I wanted to get that in, in motion. And, and again, entrepreneurship is not for everyone, as most of your listeners, I'm sure, will attest to. And uh, there's a lot of ups and downs. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. But you can't be afraid of failure when you're an entrepreneur. So fail fast or fail forward, fail often, but just be comfortable with failure because you have to get up. You have to be willing to dust yourself off and be like, that didn't work. That didn't work. I just spent $2 on that course. That was a waste of time. I just took this trip. That didn't work. Probably the opposite of being a frugal entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but also sometimes if you're not willing to make the investment in yourself, who is? And who's going to do that? Because you have to believe it. You have to believe that it's going to succeed almost more than anyone you know. Because at the end of the day, if you're not successful, they're going to be like, oh, well, you tried. But you know yourself, you're like, no, I, I don't want to have a plan B. I, I don't want to have something to go back to. I, I literally have to make this work. And it just lights a fire under you, which I'm sure you can relate to as well. Yeah. And I've definitely had, I've been an entrepreneur for over a decade now and had plenty of failures, business failures. Yeah. So I definitely know what you're talking about. But I think entrepreneurs definitely have a drive to keep yeah. pushing, to try 
okay, so that thing failed. Well, let me try this. And eventually, sooner or later, they they get it right. <laughs> yeah. And I think it comes with learning and tweaking as you go. And perfect is the enemy of the of done, as they say. If, if you're waiting for it till the perfect moment or the perfect time or the perfect offer, it's never going to happen. Throw it up on the wall, see what sticks and just move on from there and learn your lessons, you know. So you have the, the full service side of the business. Yeah. And then yeah. you also have kind of the education. Side oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so as I was putting that together, I was like, oh, this is the done for you service. And then the more I would learn through the coaching program, they're like, okay, have different price points because there'll be people who won't be able to work with, with you at that price point. And it's really a premium service and people can decide how they want to work with us. And we have packages that start at $2,000 a month to produce a weekly show. So now I was like, oh, let me do coaching. So I do in the coaching, it's a monthly retainer for me. And we do a couple calls a month. And so it's, it's more hands-on with them. And then that's also, that falls into the done with you, but then the two-day intensive. And I did it when I lived in Los Angeles and it's just picking a price point because at the time I was doing 2,500 a person to do the two-day intensive. But when you look at the value, the whole idea of it was, look, spend time with me. It's a semi-grouping because there were multiple people there. So it's not exactly one-to-one, but we're going to be two full days from nine to five, two full days. And by the time you leave there, you'll have almost all of your podcast done and ready to go. So that's what they were paying mm-hmm. for. That was a done with you service. What's interesting enough about that, Sarah, was I had a woman attend. She sat through the two days, got all the teaching from me. At the end of the two days, I started talking about what we do with our done for you services. And she's like, oh, you do the setup? I'll pay you to do the setup. And I was just like, wait, you just paid me to show you. What I learned is she basically validated that I knew what I was doing. Mm. You know, and she's just like, okay. And I showed her how how hard it was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So she's just like, oh, I get it now. This is what you do. I learned it. Cool. But now I want you to do it. So we launched our show first. So she paid me even more money after that to to launch the show. So those are done with you options. And then if you think about the third leg of that, that would be uh, do it yourself. So now I've just launched a course, which is group coaching. So it's a Slack group, it's an online course, and then it's a group coaching. So once a week right now, I'll do whoever shows up. So in essence, because it's early, I'm piling it now. I have it at 50% off. It's going to be 197 a month. Right now it's being offered at 97 a month. So when you think about if I'm if my coaching starts at 1000 a month and the done for you is 2000 a month, when I tell people, oh, it's 100 a month, for group coaching with me. So they're like, oh, let's do that one. <laughs> and then I can just have whoever shows up to the calls, they'll get a Zoom call like this or where they can pick the question and I'll spend up to an hour with whoever shows up on the calls. Oh, wow. So you kind of have like three legs then to the business. Yeah. You have the done for you, done with you and done for do- you, yeah. done with you and done for you. Yeah. And the do it yourself, I guess. Yeah. DIY. So the, it's DIY, DWY, and then DFY. Is there yeah. a particular one that you like the most or get more satisfaction or enjoyment out of? Oh, no, no. It's interesting because they each have their, they lend themselves to different types of clients. I'm excited about the work we do done for you because it really is the perfect offer for, for our clients because all they have to do is just be the talent and just show up, you know, like Howard Stern, he walks into the radio station, he talks and then he leaves and then somehow that all the other magic happens around him. So that's what we want to do for it. So we really like, and, and we're always trying to give them the best option possible. There's a really good book called Never Lose a Customer by Joey Coleman. And it talks about all the different journeys that a, a client goes on. And some of them, before they even meet you, they're reading your, looking at your website, are they reading your copy or your email? So they're engaging with you and you don't even know it. So then like, and then when you have that first call with them and it's all the different journeys, the customer life cycles, it's really fascinating. So I've been thinking about that. I'm a huge fan of systematizing. So we write SOP standard operating procedures for everything we do. I have a team that works in the Philippines. 
that helps with the day-to-day that they've been working with me for four years. And then I have a team that's freelancers in the States. So, but we document everything we do because we want every client to have the same experience. So we use a variety of different tools for project management and to make sure. So that one, I'm right now in the process of really scaling it. So I'm systematizing it. We've got a process in place. I've got a new operations person helping me. And I'm excited about that because if we can, you you can just add five more clients that we can scale because we now have a process. And you never want to build something that's dependent on you. And this is something I had to learn the hard way because if I'm the bottleneck or if I'm the, the glue that's holding everything together, I'm not attractive to anyone who's maybe looking to buy my company or is, or is thinking about partnering with me. They're just like, oh, this whole business is dependent on you being there. Oh, that's a little strange. You're, ex- you're exposed that way. So I've been constantly thinking about even the name of my company. It's Fullcast. It's not Harry Duran podcasting. So because I don't want to tie it to myself. I may want to do something else. I may have someone, I may be able to partner with someone. So just kind of opening myself for those possibilities, I think is always helpful to keep in mind. So you've got all of that, plus the advising, the podcast. So really the only thing left is writing a book, I guess. Well, you have an ebook, I think. I do uh, have an ebook that I did years ago. I actually, and, and this is interesting as a content creator, think about all the different ways you can repurpose your content. So that first book around the podcast campfire came from my first 25 interviews of Podcast Junkies. So I basically pulled all the transcripts. I hired on Fiverr, I think a proofreader edit slash editor. And I think she charged me at the time $500 $500 or maybe, yeah, somewhere around there, $500 to $1,000. But she organized all the content of the interviews into segments. So there was a social media segment, there was an editing segment, there was another one on promotions and marketing. And it was just fun because that became my first ebook. And I was like, oh, every 25 interviews, I'll just do the same thing. That didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to have that first one out. I don't think I ever actually printed a hard copy because it was an ebook and it's available as a Kindle. It's probably would make sense to have a physical copy in my, at least one in my hand. So that yeah. I'll probably, I should probably do that. But yeah, I do want to do another one around podcasting. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's, it's just helpful, like from a branding perspective. And, and I think too many times entrepreneurs get stuck up on the fact that, oh, there's already 20 books on the subject. It just means there's an audience for it. And if you've built up a platform, people want to hear your voice. I use the example in podcasting. If we took your show, and it's about frugal entrepreneurs, and you can host one of them and you pick four other people to host the same exact show on the same exact topic and potentially even the same guests, they're going to be five different shows just because you are who you are. You have your own background, your own history. And so you're going to create your own content. So it's the same thing when we're doing something that we think has already been done before. Just put your spin on it. You don't need to be a New York Times bestseller, but you just have, now you have a calling card, right? So they can be like, oh, I, I'm an author. I'm a published author as well. So. so with interviewing podcasters, what have you learned as far as interview tips and just in the process of interviewing and then even learning from them directly. Yeah. The learning from them directly is kind of like a bonus. It's some of the my favorite hours of podcasting. Nine times out of 10, I know them already because I met them at a conference. They're a friend. And sometimes I'm just like, hey, we haven't caught up. Let's catch up on my show. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a kind of like a scratch your niche uh, opportunity. It's rare. It's happening more now because I have PR companies reaching out and saying, hey, this person has a podcast. They'd like to be on the show. I was like, okay. So (laughs) it's nice when that happens. I enjoy the topic. If you enjoy the topic, you really love having that hour-long conversations. It doesn't feel like you're you know, pulling teeth as it might be sometimes with a guest if you don't know each other. And I always want my listener to feel like, oh, these people know each other or they have a history or something like that. So I always say there's three people in a podcast conversation, the host, the guest, and the listener. And remember, never lose sight of the person listening right now to this episode. 
I'm talking to you. Literally, I'm talking to you listening right now. You listen to Sarah's podcast, every episode it comes out and we and I know that she appreciates you. And the reason I say that, Sarah, is because I, th- I think a lot of podcasters, they, they talk to their audience like them. Hey, you guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, you listeners. There's literally one person listening to the show at a time and they're all listening 90% on earbuds. <laughs> so that's why the mic is important. The quality is important. You're coming into their space on a regular basis and they're choosing to invite you into their space on a regular basis. And so you're building that camaraderie. And that's why they talk about in podcasting about no like, and trust. One of my past guests, Katie Kremitzos adjusted that. She's like, no love and trust <laughs> <laughs> because they, they want to know who you are. And that's where as an opportunity, you have an opportunity as a podcast host to, to you know, be that person, introduce parts of your personal life every once in a while as they fit and just take people on a journey with you. And so they feel like there's a human being on the other side of the microphone that they, they can relate to and they can connect with on a consistent basis. And then as a host, I'm just, I come from a place of curiosity. I want to learn about my guest. And that's why the video with a tool like Squadcast helps because you can see body reactions, you can see facial reactions. You can see that if you ask a tough or challenging question and they're quiet, it's because you can see in their face that they're like, hmm, like their eyes roll up, they're thinking, I mean, if we were on a phone call, you'd be like, Harry, are you there? Are you still there? And so I love that ability to have an intimate conversation. And I want my guests to feel at ease. I want them to feel relaxed. So they go at least an hour because it takes like 15 minutes to do ice breaking stuff and to get into guests feel like they're comfortable saying what they want to say. And I always start out something I learned from a Tim Ferriss episode. You know, you just set the stage for the guest prior we were able to chat a little bit in what on the Squadcast green room for a little bit and to get warmed up, which is a great practice. And then, then you can also just let guests know this is not live. We're not you're not on the air. We do post production, so if you want to clean it up after, we can. So this is some stuff I tell my guests. Feel free to do a second take if you're not comfortable with something. Just anything that I can do to relax them. And every podcaster wants to hear, "Oh, nobody ever asked me that question," <laughs> <laughs> or "I've never told anybody this before." And you're like, mm. "Oh, yeah, this is great." But I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. My friend Jordan Harbinger has been on the show a couple of times. A Pat Flynn has been on, and just people who I respect as interviewers. I just try to learn whenever. I just kind of be that eternal student. And always learning anytime I listen to anyone that's doing an interview, are they getting something out of their guest and, and why? Yeah. Speaking of Pat Flynn, Jordan Harbinger, how does one get someone of that, I wouldn't say caliber, because that makes it sound like that they're a bigger name yeah. person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to start by sometimes an example people like to use is sort of like stair-stepping your way there. Find out if they're connected to other people and just have a genuine interest because if you sort of knock it out of the park with someone and you say, do you know of anyone that would be a good fit for the show? I and mean, you always ask that question at the end. And some, you know, people are always giving. Always going to be like, oh, I know someone that would be a good fit. And and quite honestly, Sarah, sometimes you just ask. They're all human beings at the end of the day. And if they can, they'll make time. And I try to respond to several cold requests to be on the show. I do a little research and I'm like, oh, they look consistent. The quality sounds good. The topic is interesting. Yeah, let's come on. Susie Buttress, she's uh, the host of the Casual Birder Pod. I saw it on Twitter. She has a podcast about uh, casual birding. (laughs) She lives in the UK. And I was like, I want to talk to you. And now we're friends now. So (laughs) she actually came to to LA like years ago and we went out bird watching. (laughs) (laughs) So you never know. This is like, this is one of those examples. And I'm just like, be sincere and just try to add value. And every once in a while, aim for a a big name and just have it in your weekly goals. Every week or every every month, I'm going to reach out to 10 
unattainable podcasts hosts or, or entrepreneurs. It's the law of numbers. At some point, one of them is going to say yes. Mm-hmm. So, but you have to ask. Like they say, you got to put the, the reps in. Put the intention out into the universe and be like, this is what I want for my show. You know, This is where I want to take it. I've definitely done that and and surprisingly gotten a lot of people that I wasn't sure I would like for you, for example, Michael O'Neill. Michael's um, a great guy. Yeah, I've tried to contact Pat, <laughs> but the only way to do it is through a type form on his website yeah. and then it goes through who knows how many people and I never hear back. John Lee Dumas as well. I know he does short interviews. He was uh, my sixth mm-hmm. guest on the show and I joined Podcasters Paradise when I started the show, so that was way back in 2014. <laughs> so obviously okay. he's been going strong since then. But it's all, it was also a short interview. And it, we've we've hung out now. We're like we hung out a couple of times in podcasting. Uh, so we're like podcasting friends. He lives in Puerto Rico now. So Yeah, I imagine meeting people in person at a yes. conference would probably be a really good way. Big difference. Yeah, big difference. Mm-hmm. And it also helps that you're, if you think about your, your podcast as a platform, this is what we tell clients. Sometimes I'm like, look, do you want to build relationships within a specific genre or an industry? Start a podcast. Forget about the, don't do it for the downloads. Do it for the relationships that you're going to build. I I joke around. You could start a podcast, invite 20 people on your dream list that you want to be, you want to have a relationship with and have a topic that they're interested in. I know that I heard on the Lipson podcast, some parent or somebody worked with their child and the child was in high school, ready to go to college. So a year before, I think they started a podcast where they were interviewing admissions counselors to universities. So you imagine you interview 20 of those. And then by the way, I'm applying to your school next year. I had a friend who was an engineer. He's looking for a job. I was like, you should start the Rockstar Engineers podcast and interview peers you admire in the space. Mm-hmm. If you tell people like, hey, can I pick your brain or can we grab coffee? Any entrepreneur that knows that that's code for can I get free consulting? But if you say, hey, I've got a podcast where I'm interviewing some of the, the, the most amazing minds in engineering, like, a, and I respect your work, would you want to come on and talk? And this magically their calendar opens up and they can talk to you for an hour. Sarah, it's the same conversation. Because you're going to be on the show and you're going to be asking them stuff, right? Right. But you're doing it in the context of a podcast episode. You're going to promote it, obviously, and make them look good. But you're more likely having a longer conversation. And they see you as maybe not a peer, but as someone that's who's genuinely interested in, in promoting them and, and making them look good. As opposed to meeting for coffee or something, oh, what does this person want from me? So it's, I think it's so powerful. I'm so gung-ho on, on podcasting. And you just have to be clear about what's the purpose that we always tell clients, what's the one thing you want a listener to do after having listened to the episode, right? Have a clear call to action. But you as a host and as the creator should, should, should be asking yourself, what's my objective with this show? Yeah, I love the connections that you can make with people that you interview. And like you said, I mean, if you were to email or call up, let's just say Pat Flynn, whatever, and say, hey, can I talk to you for an hour? They're either going to not respond, they're going to say no, or they're going to be like, yeah, sure, it'll be 20 grand an hour or whatever the rate is. But if you say, hey, we want to be on my podcast, the majority of the time, they'll probably do it. So because they know that it's more worth their time because who knows how many other people are listening to it. And yeah, we launched, it's interesting. We're talking about uh, business models. We launched a show in the vertical farming niche. So I I read a book from uh, a guy named Peter Diamandis. He wrote a book called Abundance. And it's about these future technologies and vertical farming and nanotechnology. The idea of vertical farming, which is these robots in these tall buildings, skyscraper buildings or something like that, factories. And it's climate controlled. So you can 
grow the equivalent of seven growing seasons in one year because you can control the air, you can control the water, you control the humidity, you control the lighting, you can mimic night and dark and some of these climates in like Tuscany and stuff like that, all with the proper mix of all those environments. And so it was fascinating. So I was like, what if I created my own client? So I basically launched the Vertical Farming Podcast, we produced it, and then I went out and found a sponsor. And I found a sponsor who sponsored the whole season. And so essentially, they're paying us to produce the show that I'm hosting, that's my show. So, But it's a super, super niche. I'm in vertical farming. So I started targeting CEOs and founders of vertical farming companies. And I've had almost all the guests have been either CEO or founder. And now they're like, oh, thank you so much. They're inviting me to speak at vertical farming conferences. Now, where do you want to be seen as an expert? Leverage the power of the podcast and then interview the experts in that space. And the more niche, the better, quite honestly. The more niche it is, the more you're going to have those super fans. Because there was ag tech, which is agriculture technology. But vertical farming is even more niche because it's only focused on the indoor stuff, not just anything, any technology that could be on, a, on an outdoor farm. And again, this is another tip from an SEO perspective. I called it what it is, the vertical farming podcast. I didn't try to make up a cute name because too many creators in the beginning, entrepreneurs go through this as well. They're like, oh, let me call it the cool guys show or something like that. Something that's not related to anything people would ever be searching for. When we're naming stuff, even the name of the products that I have, the name of the podcast, like I'm, I'm conscious of the SEO friendliness of something. We launched a show for our client. She's a photographer. She's been a photographer for 10 years. She coaches other photographers how to create a photography business. We called it Photo Business Help. That's the name of the show. It is what it says. One of my new clients, he's going to be, uh, he's an investor. He sold a trading company and now he's doing a new podcast. His show is called Understanding Investing. So be super simple so that when people see it, they know what it is. But also the other tip is on your stuff is to brand it. So when I called the lead magnet, when, when people, if they go to fullcast.co forward slash game plan, they can download what I call the ultimate podcast launch game plan. If I had called it the my podcast checklist, that's okay. But <laughs> what about if I called it the ultimate podcast launch game plan? They're like, whoa, that's interesting. I, I want that. You know, <laughs> So it's just kind of, it's the same thing, but you have to show people that you have a system. You have to show people that you have a process. And so it's important to think about everything that you offer and let people know, no, I've put some thought into this. There's some intellectual property that goes into what I'm selling you or offering you. And it's not just anything you can find anywhere or, or you could, but it would take you time. And so what people are paying for when you're early in your entrepreneurial journey, you're thinking about a, like a dollar exchange for like time for money, time for money, time for money. But as you start to be an expert in your space, it's really like they're paying you for your the value you get. And just as an example, I use my friend who's the web designer, he delivered five minutes of, of actual time, but I wasn't paying for his time. I was paying for the value of what he could provide me. So whether it took five minutes or whether it took an hour, I was willing to pay him. So just thinking about that in terms of you know, for, any, for the listener that's thinking about how to position or offer what, what they do in, in a way that's attractive to, to people. Because when people see it, it should feel like that's going to solve a need I have emotionally as well. What is that going to do for me? Oh, that's going to give me peace of mind or that's going to help me feel comfortable that I can create something from this. Never forget that what you're offering people should be solving something in an intrinsic need that they have. Yeah, those are good points. You had mentioned that the game plan thing, which I've downloaded before. And I want to say, did it have a TM for trademark? Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've been thinking about trademarking frugalpreneur. Yeah, I, you I should. 
Yeah, at you least from a, so? I think, yeah, from a branding perspective, it's so unique that, and, and it goes back, I think, to when you got it, you were first using it in the public domain. So I think wherever your show started, or if you had an offering before then, I think it'll go as far back as when you can actually demonstrate that you were using it. But I think it's unique enough. And not everything that I have a TM on, by the way, is trademarked, <laughs> but it's oh, just, I... you know, I, but I can just put it there because it's helpful because people see that and then it just, it just helps legitimize what it is you do. And it makes people feel like, oh, he's given some thought to this because it's something else. We have the done for you course is called the ultimate podcast dojo. So now I'm leveraging the ultimate podcast branding and using that for other things I do. And and it's helpful because people want to know what you're offering is part of a system. You want to take people on a journey. When you talk to people, when you talk to prospects, you want to be like, okay, you're here now, but as part of this program that I'm going to take you on or part of this journey, I want you on your business or, you know, I want what insert desired result that you provide. You're here and I want you to be there. And through us working together, I'm going to show you how we're going to get there. Yeah. And you were talking about naming of your show or your website. And I think frugalpreneur, it's kind of cutesy. It's not a real word, but that's why I have the tagline, building a business on a bootstrap budget. I think that that help even if it didn't have that tagline i think people can tell what yeah the yeah, show's yeah, about. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it kind of bugs me when people have shows where it's like the so-and-so show like the yeah. name now if they're big and yeah, people know who they are then okay yeah. yeah like if the people know who you are then fine or they have their face on it which is okay if it's not with your name maybe yeah. if it has but it seems to me if someone's scrolling through Apple Podcasts or wherever, if they see your face and you're not some famous person or it has your name on it and no one knows who you are, they don't, don't that doesn't yeah. give them anything. That doesn't Honestly, tell what I think the show's about. First time podcasters, I I tend to guide them to not have their face on there because nobody knows who you are and nobody knows your brand. And quite honestly, I could probably name on one hand the podcasters whose face I would see and just stop and be like, oh, there's Joe Rogan, there's Tim Ferriss, there's Michelle Obama. Name brand recognition. We think sometimes like people know who John Lee Dumas is and we're like, oh, he's a big, he goes to conferences and they treat him like he's like Tony Robbins or something. It's hilarious. But outside of podcasting, no one has any idea who he is. Nobody knows. It's funny. So it's all relative. But yeah, when you're just getting started, focus on the value that you're providing in in whatever you call your program, whatever you call your business, whatever you call your podcast, let people know who you serve pretty quickly. And earlier you had mentioned that most people are listening it's like a, a three people, the the host, the guest, and then the listener. Yeah. And for some reason, this idea came to my mind when you were saying that. I wonder if it's ever going to get to the point where, you know how people binge Netflix shows and they might have friends come over and they all, they have this, mm. you know, I wonder if there's going to be such a thing as like podcast parties where. A watch, a watch party or a listen party. Yeah, a listen party. Maybe for shows that are more fiction or storytelling maybe i'm curious what do you see as the future of podcasting in general i i don't think it's going anywhere soon i think it's like there's always a number that i forget when people say how many blogs are, are out there versus mm-hmm. how many podcasts and i think it's just a form of content creation there's always going to be a need for content marketing 
whether there's no such thing as too many blogs because every company should have one. Every company should be telling the story of, of themselves. Every entrepreneur should have some sort of podcast or, or not podcast, but some sort of content marketing strategy. And that could be in the beginning. Okay. We have a nice website, but then it could be like, okay, we're active on these social properties. Okay. Now we're doing some blogging. Okay. Now maybe we should do a podcast. So there's always should be something happening in terms of getting the word out about what entrepreneurs do. Podcasting wise, I think it's just another channel and like I said earlier, each person is going to have their own unique story. I don't think there's any shortage of stories that are ever going to happen. So don't look at it as something that competes with something else. I, I think just look at it as I want to tell this unique story. I have a client who is evangelical priest or something, and his father's like an English professor, and his father lives in Hawaii, and he lives in Atlanta. And they started the podcast so they could talk about literature together. But it's also father and son, and it's father and son sharing moments. And at some point, the father will pass away. And those episodes will like reside in, in memory. So it's sort of these time capsules of conversations, and which I thought was nice. Oh, wow. That's a really neat idea. There's saying there's an app for that. Well, at this point, there's a podcast for that. There's a podcast for everything. Absolutely. <laughs> and I feel like, especially for businesses, that it's going to get to the point probably relatively soon, you know, like every business needs a website and whatever. I feel like every business will need a podcast. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like a big production. It could just be something that tells, it could be short too. It doesn't have to be ongoing. It could be like an eight part episode about our business or about our, our clients or about our employees or something like that. I was listening to podcast pontifications with Evo oh, yeah. Terra. He did an episode recently about Wendy's. I guess Wendy's has a podcast now, <laughs> but it's, it's like the worst, pod, worst <laughs> podcast ever. Yeah. But I guess that's just a sign that everybody needs one, even if it's bad. Yeah. So bad, it's good, right? Because now people are talking about it. So. Yeah. I, I haven't listened to it, but I should just to see. But it's like a, like a, sounds like a commercial. It sounds like a two minute commercial for Wendy's, which is hilarious if that's what they were being intentionally poking fun at podcasting. And, I, and it worked. It's almost like the, uh, who's that, that King character from Burger King would always do like these weird things like, and so. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it got, it just gets people talking, marketing, right? Yeah. I heard that, that movie, I think it's Anchorman with Ron Burgundy, the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Will Ferrell, yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, there's a podcast now where Will Ferrell plays Ron Burgundy in the podcast. The Ron Burgundy show. Yeah. Yeah, it's just going in all kinds of different interesting directions. And then, of course, you get TV shows that started as podcasts. And then, of course, Joe Rogan getting $100 million from Spotify. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's just blowing up all of a sudden because it's been around since what 2005 or six five or six yeah roughly yeah i thought i was late when i got in in 2014 <laughs> i was like oh but uh, yeah i mean i think it's just it's it's not going to show any sign of stopping and i think so and and then these shows that are getting the attention they bring more people in like the serial effect brought a, a bunch of podcasters in the joe rogan being on spotify now is going to bring more people into podcasting and and even michelle obama is going to bring people into podcasting all these big urban names and it's all going to be good mm -hmm. for the podcasting industry on a whole i mean there's going to be a lot of it's harder and harder to have a breakout show because mm. there's only so much time you have to listen to podcasts. For people who are listening who would like to start a podcast or they're thinking about starting one, either for their business or even just personally, what would your advice or recommendations be for them? There's a lot of things that are you need from a for basics perspective. For example, you want a good microphone. So I, I mean, I think at the very least, make sure you, you have high quality microphone and then you're with a reliable hosting company. So this mic is the Samson Q2U. Uh, I think now it's $80, but it's a dynamic mic. You can USB it. You can plug it into a sound card. 
And then we host our client shows on Simplecast. But I have a whole, all these two and a couple of other resources are in this this uh, PDF, which um, your, your listeners can download. And if they just go to fullcast.co forward slash game plan, um, they can download it there. And then it's the six pillars. When we think about a client shows, it's position, plan, promote, publish, profit. All those different topics are covered at a high level so that it's sort of like a lot of the beginner questions. And I think that really helps people get started. And then if they want help from a done for you perspective, or done with you, or even the group coaching, then there's information there about how to follow up with me. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I use the ATR 2100, but they recently came out with a new one and apparently it's not as good. So I and, heard, yeah. Yeah, and the 2100, you can't even buy anymore, apparently. So now I do recommend the Samsung Q2U as far at that price point, the 60 yeah, to yeah. $80 range. But yeah, yeah. I really appreciate your time today. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on? What's a topic of interest when, when you think about? the listener and and episodes that have resonated the most with your listeners, you know, what, what type of topics come to mind? Anything that has to do with business on a budget or side hustles. I had Nick Loper on yeah. one time and basically stuff that has to do with different ways to make money online, but affordably. And I think podcasting is one of those ways. I mean, you yeah, get started definitely. all in for under a hundred dollars with the mic yeah. and everything. For your listener to think about what you want to do in the beginning. And when I had my first client, when I realized I had the first person that was paying me, I went above and beyond to offer everything I could Everything that I knew that he didn't know or needed help with or was asking questions about, oh, we can do that. He's like, what about this? I was like, I, I can do that. And some of it I, I knew how to do and some of it I kind of knew how to do. <laughs> but I think it was just a matter of over-delivering. And so and in the beginning, you may have an avatar, an industry, you want to be start your business, and you may have to do some work for free in the beginning. But if you are given the chance to do some work for someone that is a semi-influencer or someone that's known in the space, and you do get that break, complete, you got to completely over-deliver because they're going to be like, wow, this is so great. And then they'll refer you as their resource for whatever service you provide. There's different ways to do it on a budget. But if you are given that opportunity, I think the main thing to keep in mind is you may not get that opportunity again. So just make them not regret the decision and just treat them as if they were paying you thousands of dollars because it'll pay off in the long term. Those are good points. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah and people can find you at uh, podcastjunkies.com or yep. fullcast.co. .co.co. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm, act I'm active on, on LinkedIn, Harry Duran on LinkedIn and Harry Duran FC on Instagram and Twitter. And then I'll also have show notes at the sarahstjohn.com forward slash Harry. Yes. Oh. Awesome. All right. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Sarah. I appreciate that you let me share my story with your audience. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastpreneur. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, don't forget to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Until next time.